travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia, episode 31. This one's called Bali 101. This is Trevor Ranges recording in Bangkok, Thailand, and with me, as he is every other week, it's me, Scott Coates from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And I'm looking forward to this one because I've actually purchased an air ticket to Bali before that I wasn't able to use. I went to Lombok, which is right to the east next door a couple months ago, and I've never been, and I know a reasonable amount about it, but it's still kind of a black hole in my mind. And I know that you have written a guidebook for an app for it, and I know that you're a real expert. So I want you to school me, Trevor. What is Bali? <laughs> Where is it? And why would people go there? Yeah, you know, I, well, Bali's an island. Uh, it's part of Indonesia. Okay. Um, and it's uh, just south of the equator um, and, and north of Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to travel to Bali in between trips uh, to Hawaii from Thailand, uh, usually to do some writing that I had already done some research for and, and to do some surfing because uh -huh. uh, the surf in, in Bali is phenomenal. Right. Um, but I usually just hole up in a particular place for a few weeks, uh, often Nusa Lombongan, which is a little island off the coast of Bali. And, and I didn't do a whole lot of exploring. I mean, I went to Ubud. I went to Kuta Beach. I, I, I saw like a, a few of the sites. You know, I'd been up to the volcanoes. Um, but I hadn't really explored it a lot. So a few years ago, I had the opportunity to move there for about a half a year. And I did extensive research writing a, a guidebook that, that we have yet to publish. Um, we actually ended up writing 1,600 pages about Bali. Holy. And G G GPS, just about every shortcut and every waterfall and every temple and every beach uh, shack that you can imagine. Um, and, and during that process, I really got to know... Bali Bali, not just tourist Bali, and, and now I love it, and I go back frequently, and, and I can't wait to go back again. Okay, so I have it in my mind. There is volcanoes there. I know that, and I knew that, but I also saw it from Lombok. Like, there's like 4,000 or 3,000-meter-plus volcanoes, correct? Yes. Right. There's great surf. I kind of have it like I've been to Hawaii. I spent some time there, as you know. I kind of have it like Hawaii-ish, sort of in my mind. The other thing that I have in my mind is that it's kind of tourist hell. Everything's touristy there. And that I've heard that the locals constantly badger and bug you to buy things. And I also have it in my mind that it's expensive. Is, is any of that accurate? Uh, I'd say mostly no. Um, there, there certainly are parts of Bali that are ultra touristy. Uh, Bali's been on the tourist map uh, for a bit longer even than Thailand has. And... Uh, you know, there are areas where you do get badgered a bit by the touts trying to sell you stuff, um, but those places are really kind of localized. Uh, I, I don't think that you can compare uh, Bali to Phuket or Samui, places that are strictly tourist. I mean, like Phuket is a very touristy place. Samui is a very touristy place. Um, whereas I find that Bali is home to, to much a, a more distinct and, and deep-rooted culture. Um, I think there are parallels with Hawaii too, 
Um, but it's hard to compare Bali with Hawaii even. I mean, both are these beautiful volcanic islands with amazing surf. Um, and in some regards, Bali has touristier areas than, than, let's say, the touristy parts of Hawaii. But at the same time, I think Bali's culture is, is so alive and, and so intact still. Um, so when you travel to a place like Thailand or Cambodia, you certainly are exposed to the culture. But I feel like Bali's culture is, is so much more resilient um, so that you really do get to experience it firsthand as soon as you get out of the touristy areas. And, and it actually is quite easy to, to get out of the tourist areas and, and really experience the real Bali. So I know that Indonesia is a Muslim nation, but I also know that Bali is a Hindu island. Do you think that has any role as to why Bali has become so distinct and so popular? Well, I mean, that's certainly part of why it's distinct because, uh, I mean, outside of India, there aren't uh, many predominantly Hindu communities uh, that I'm aware of. Uh, so, so Bali being Hindu in a predominantly Muslim country certainly makes it distinct, and, and it probably did play a role into them trying to, to preserve and protect their culture. But I think just the fact that they are Hindu and the fact that their religious ceremonies are such an integral part of their day-to-day -day lives... Right. Um, that, that those religious beliefs are, are very responsible for the fact that their culture has remained intact, despite the fact that it's the 21st century and they all have cell phones. I mean, you go to like a, a, a Hindu temple ceremony and everybody dresses up in traditional clothes. I mean, and I don't even think anyone's allowed to skip them. If you live in the community where there's a temple, where there's a ceremony and there's a temple ceremony somewhere every single day, um, everybody's dressed up and, and they're taking selfies of themselves. Right, right. You know, so it, it, it's really resilient in the fact that they've retained their culture, but they okay. still are modern and, and lead modern lives. Right. Okay. The other thing is like, I, I know the shape of Bali and I kind of have it in my head, but I've never really been able to wrap my head around like how big is Bali? How big an island is it? How's it laid out? I mean, what does one place versus another have to offer? How many can I cover in a holiday? I mean, I've, of course, heard of Kuda, which I understand is the most touristy spot with surf and beach and lots of Australians. I've heard that Ubud is, I think, the place that people go to be artsy and get in touch with themselves. But I don't know, is it in a rice paddy or in a mountain? And I've heard of Semenyak. So, like, I mean, how easy is it to get around the island? How big is it? How many places can you go on a single holiday? Can you help me kind of wrap my head around it? Yeah, you know, and, and you weren't far off there. Um, Bali's not a huge island. It's a little bit bigger than Oahu, where you went to, to the east-west center where Honolulu and the North Shore is and everything. Okay. But uh, it, it's a little bit bigger, so it's about 95 miles wide and about 70 miles uh, north to south. Miles? Um, that says yeah, so let's say 150 <laughs> kilometers wide and 100, 110 kilometers north to south, which isn't really big. But they and and there are some kind of bypass roads and some expressways around like the the southern part. So when you're in like Kuda and Ubud and, and Semenyak in that area, it's it's definitely doable to to zip around a little bit. But they don't really have major expressways between a lot of parts of the island. So if you want to go from from Kuda in the in the south to Singraja, which is the, the second city in the north, that's only about, you know, 70 miles or, or 110 kilometers, but it's going to take you, you know, three hours, I'd say, on minimum, wow. if there's no traffic, because you're driving up a volcano and then down the other side of the volcano, so there's the hill that you have to factor in, um, but then a lot of these roads aren't really big, and there's traffic on them, there's a lot, the traffic in Bali is outrageous sometimes, like just from the airport to Indakuta, which 
is like maybe a kilometer that could take you an hour or more if there's traffic so i mean that could be one of my tips that if you land during rush hour um just go to to, to the nearest hotel there's a i think the holiday inn or the ramada and tuban is you know, super close and, and watch the sunset there and wait for the traffic to die down. But uh, yeah, when you're talking about like getting from Kuda to Ubud, um, that's maybe 30 kilometers. If you get up at, at 6 a.m. And, and drive, it'll take you 30 minutes on a motorbike. Um, if you wait until rush hour or the middle of the day, it's going to take you two hours to do that 30K. That sounds brutal. I know. So like what I would suggest is like if, if you're going to go from Kuda to Ubud and you're going to have to sit in the car for three or four hours just for the round trip, I, I don't really think it's worth it. That, but because things aren't that far apart, the way I would do it is, you know, maybe spend – two or three days in the beach, maybe like Seminyak, which isn't quite as touristy, although it is quite touristy. Spend your three days at the beach doing some surfing, then relocate up to Ubud and spend two or three days up there. Then if you want to go to the volcanoes, which again, it's only maybe like an hour or so drive, but it's not that far, but it's worth going up there to spend two days up there. So I think it's it's better to do little mini like outings, like go to Ubud, rent a motorbike, explore that area for two days. Then go to another part of the island, like Ahmed, if you want to do some snorkeling or scuba diving, rent a motorbike and explore that for a couple of days. I think that's a much better way to, to explore Bali than to, to fight the traffic by basing yourself out of one location and, and trying to, to see everything from there. Okay, I, I think I've got you. Can you, in just a couple of words, outline like, okay, so Kuda, why would you go to Kuda? What's there? I think if you were like... 17 years old and, and you're from Australia and you really wanted to go to a foam party, Kuda Beach would, would be awesome. <laughs> and Ubud, what's, what's, what's the geography? I, I, Why hate, would I, I hate to generalize and stuff. And, and you know, everybody wants to, to go to Ubud. And the, one of the interesting things about Ubud is that it's it's a small village. And, and what people call Ubud, I jokingly refer to as, as a state of mind, not a place. Um, but Ubud mm-hmm. is kind of just the general name now for the area that surrounds Ubud, which includes all these other smaller villages that are historically known for wood carving or, or other types of crafts. Um, they certain have, certainly have different types of dancing there. Um, just outside of Ubud are these spectacular rice fields. Um, there's some really cool like ancient palaces and, and water palaces because the, the holy water is important to the rites of the, the Hindu folk there in Bali. Um, but I, I think there is a lot to see outside of Ubud, like north of Ubud. Um, Ubud town, again, has tour buses full of Chinese and Korean and Japanese and American and Australian tourists. And it, just uh, the traffic in, in downtown Ubud can drive me nuts sometimes. Um, so I think you, you definitely want to go and see those places. Again, like I said, you're better off getting a room in Ubud or just outside Ubud and renting a motorbike. And then you can spend your evenings in the town and enjoy some of the cafes and restaurants and bars and stuff. But then you'd want to get out of town during the day. And, and it's right outside your door. You jump on a motorbike and you leave Ubud. 15 minutes later, not even, like 10 minutes later, you're in the middle of Bali and, and there's not many tourists around you. And you're, you're going to see cockfighting and roasting a pig on a spit for a for a temple sacrifice or all sorts of interesting real culture Balinese experiences, uh, which are really close by. And that's one of the cool things I like about Bali is it's not hard to leave the touristy areas to, to experience the, the true culture. Okay. Semenyak, what is it? Is it beach and surfing? Um, they jokingly refer to Semenyak as like the, the Beverly Hills of, 
of Bali and, and it definitely does have upscale restaurants and bars and stuff like that. It's got nicer hotels. So like Kuta has, has expanded. So the beach from the airport to Tuban to Kuta to Legian to Seminyak, that's all one continuous unbroken stretch of beach. Um, and and the, the tourist sprawl from Ubud has gradually stretched out north through Sem, through Legian into, into Seminyak. Um, but it's gotten like a little bit more tasteful. They, they've done a little bit more planning perhaps. Um, so in, in developing. Is it, it's beach and surfing? Yeah. Um, again, like the beaches in Bali aren't, they're not Hawaii. It's, it's really hard packed, firm sand there. Um, there's not much reef along that area. So there, it's just these giant walls of water that'll smash down. It's a good place for you to learn um, when the waves are small, just because you can ride the white water straight in. Um, but if you want to go maybe a little bit north of Seminyak to an area that's called Changu, that's kind of the up-and-coming uh, area for expats and, and tourists in the know. If you want to study some yoga, do some surfing, it's more maybe intermediate-level surfing, but uh, it, it's beautiful, and it's, it's much more Bali than, than Seminyak in that area is. All right. Are there any other kind of key areas that people should know about? Yeah, I think we'll get to some of that later. I just wanted to go okay. through some general essentials uh, sure. just because otherwise I, I feel like I'm just winging it and I'd rather uh, yeah, hit yeah, some point-by-point yeah. point information. Okay, so these should be things you must know when you land in Bali. What's the first one? Yeah, I think the first one is is that when you get to the airport, like lots of times uh, – you get out of an airplane and you have no idea where you should go or what you should do. Um, and the airport has official taxi stands with fixed fares. Um, now, getting around Bali can be a bit tricky because some of the taxis are a bit dodgy. Um, the taxis that you generally want to use are called the Bluebird taxis. Um, Bluebirds will generally run the meter and they'll have a meter that, that isn't going to rip you off. Uh, but at the airport, they have an official taxi stand with fixed but fair prices that can get you anywhere on the island. Um, try and partner up with somebody if they're going to Ubud and, and split the cost. Also, uh, currency exchange at the airport is only about 2.5% uh, worse than the official rate that you can get at a good place. So it's not a bad idea to change a little bit of money there. You're not going to get ripped off too bad. Right. Okay. So change some money at the airport and change the rest when I get in town? Yeah. The, the thing with Bali, though, is for a long time it had been legendary for kind of these uh, currency ex exchange scams. Even when my parents went there many years ago, my dad was changing money. And, and you get hundreds of thousands of rupiah for you know right. a small amount. So what they'll do is, is they were counting the money out to my dad, and it was a trainee. And the supervisor kept correcting the person because they were giving him the right amount of money. And they're like, no, no, you can't give him the right amount of money. You have to count it like this so that you don't give them the right amount of money. So when you walk around Bali, every single currency exchange place will have a different rate. And some of them are like 25% better than the market rate. But then they have fees, but then they do these little tricks. Now, the, the 10,000 and the 100,000 rupiah notes look very similar. So one of the things they could do is in a stack of big 100,000s, they can throw some 10,000s in there and hope that you won't notice it. So there's a couple of different places. Uh, one's called BMC. And the mm -hmm. other one is EXEZ. Um, right. BMC and EXEZ, those are the best places to change currency. Um, so do some at the airport and then try and find one of those BMCs or EXEZs and, and do all your currency exchange there so you don't get ripped off. Yeah, you know, it's a good point about getting ripped off handed the money because, I mean, you go to any country where the currency looks different, and especially when there's so many zeros. And it's really tough when there's people waiting and you want to kind of like not hold up the process. They hand you a stack of unfamiliar bills with huge zeros in the case of Indonesia. So, yeah, you do want to check that. Now, I mean, obviously I understand that Bali's in the tropics, but 
when is it hammering rain? I mean, when's it cooler? When when do people want to go? Yeah, you know, Bali's in the tropics. It's very close to the equator, um, but it does also experience some cool temperatures, both at the beach and, and at the mountains. Um, and at the beach, I think it's because uh, in, in the summer months for North Americans, that's the winter in, in Bali, that would be June through September, um, you might actually feel comfortable wearing a sarong over your shoulders when you're at the beach in the evening um, because the, the waves come in, in the, the June to September months and the waves come from down in Antarctica. And I think some of that like Arctic weather that brings those swells in also cools uh, the island a little bit. But when you're up in the volcanoes or up in the mountains, it's definitely a bit cooler up there as well. So it's not blazing hot. This isn't, you know, Las Vegas or something. Um, it is going to be warm there. But uh, in those winter months, June through September, which are kind of the best months to go because it's the driest, it's the coolest, that's when the waves are, um, that's, that's the best time to go. Huh. At the same time, you definitely want to bring sunblock uh, and, and bring a hat and, and seek shade in the middle of the day because you'll still get cooked. Now, is, when's the rainiest time of the year, and, and should that be avoided? Yeah, you know, I mean, I would tend to avoid the rainy season there. In general, like, I don't mind traveling during the rainy season. I don't mind going out and doing things when it rains. But I like to get around Bali on a motorbike, and, and when it comes down, it comes, like, without warning, and then it just hammers, you know, and the roads turn into rivers. And, and it'll happen, like, during the rainy season. Every day, at least a couple of times a day, out of the blue, it'll just boom, and it'll come down for an hour or so. Um, but at other times, it can come, and it can rain for a week. I was there... Uh, in, in March a few years ago, and, and it rained the entire time I was there. And if you're planning a beach holiday, I don't know that you want to gamble it during the, the rainy season. Okay, well, that's a good one. I mean, you mentioned motorbikes driving around. Like, I'm a lifelong motorbiker, so, and you've kind of touched on the chaos of the roads, but I definitely like getting around my motorbike. Is driving around Bali something I want to do? I think you would like to do it because after you drove around Bali on a motorbike for a while, when you get back here to Bangkok, it's a walk in the park. Like the traffic here in Bangkok is, is so tame and calm in comparison. Really? Yeah. In Bali, everyone seems to be in a hurry. You get like a 90-year-old grandma and you put her on a motorbike and she'll be right up your ass honking the horn telling you to get out of the way. The rule of the road in Bali is me first. There's no doubt about it. And motorbikes are constantly changing lanes, swerving in and out of traffic, driving on the wrong side of the road, making sudden turns without signals. And that's kind of the norm across Asia. But but Bali's pretty hectic, man. Those roads are really narrow. They're, they get really congested. It's predominantly motorbikes. I mean, there are cars and trucks. And, and when you do drive around like some, like suppose you're going up the west coast of Bali, up towards Balian or Medewi, um, that's the road to Java, and, and so there's big heavy trucks on the roads, and they're narrow and windy, and, and it's sketchy, you know. So, I mean, renting a motorbike to explore around Ubud or something like that, yeah, definitely. If you're down in the Bukit and you're in the surf area, renting a motorbike to get around there, it's, it, it's good. But you definitely want to bring a helmet. You definitely want to wear shoes. I wear jeans over my board shorts when I'm going from point A to point B just because I've been hit a few times, you know, and I, I haven't fallen off the bike, but uh, I've had some, some close calls. And you definitely do want to be careful about, about driving in Bali. Okay, and I mean – Safety is something that's on people's minds, especially women. So, I mean, what's, what's the situation for women traveling to Bali? Do they have to be cautious? 
I mean, you should use common sense as you would traveling anywhere, not to walk down dark alleys by yourself or, or take a drunken late night nap on the beach, right? Um, that said, I think local men in Bali can be a little bit more aggressive than, than in other parts of Southeast Asia. Um, there are women who travel to Bali for the services of, of gigolos, and I think some of the men are kind of used to, to flirting up the women. Uh, I, I don't think that, that Balinese men themselves uh, would necessarily harm a woman unprovoked, but Bali, because it is a tourist area, attracts many people from all parts of Indonesia who are there to try and make some money, and some of it is going to be by by stealing your bag or breaking into your room or, or possibly harming you you know so i think that in general bali is safe i think uh, it's much more dangerous on the roads or in the water than it is uh, on the streets now i know that you're kind of a lifelong waterman and i've been out in the water a bit in various places and i have a pretty enormous respect for the power of it what about ocean safety when people are, are having fun in the sea well, you know, like you were asking if Kuda, Legion, Seminyak are good places to learn to surf. Right, and, I, right. and I would say when the waves are small, it, it can be. But because it's all sandbar there, um, there's some wicked rip currents. And uh, you definitely do want to swim where the lifeguards are located. And the, and the lifeguards do a pretty good job of whistling at people and running down the beach and, and trying to tell people, hey, don't swim there. There's a dangerous rip current. There are very dangerous rip currents in that Kuda Beach area. And, and I don't know how many people drown there every year, but I assume... It's, it's not a small number, you know? Hmm. Um, I think people that are unaccustomed to swimming in, in rough o- open ocean surf um, don't realize how strong and how quickly the ocean can grab you and suck you out, you know? Right, right. Um, so even in those th- that Kuta Beach area, you definitely need to be careful. Um, when you get up a little farther north or a little farther south on the Bukit where, like, the real surf is, um, it's surprisingly sometimes a little bit safer to swim right off the beach because the, the, the surf breaks on the reef, which is farther out from the shore, and, and the inside is a little bit calmer. And uh, those beaches actually have much cleaner water, and, and it's quite pretty and, and safe for swimming. Right. Now, what about the food? If I eat the food, am I going to croak or be sick the whole time? Well, you know, I mean, there's Bali Belly, which is the, the you know, Bali version of Montezuma's Revenge, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um and, and, of course, one of the joys of traveling is sampling the local cuisine. Um, in Indonesia, what they do a lot of times is they cook the food in the morning, and then they just keep it out for lunch in these open kind of dishes. And uh, lots of times there'll be flies on that, or because it's sitting out for hours unrefrigerated, some bacteria is going to grow on it and stuff like that. So I think what we've said in the past about like trying to find restaurants that are very popular, very busy, cooking the food fresh, uh, you're going to be much safer off in, in those kind of places. Gotcha. Um, drinking water for the most part is safe. I think people exaggerate. You know, people are a little bit too nervous about the water and the ice when they travel in, in Southeast Asia. You know, Bali has millions of tourists a year. They, they serve you proper bottled water and, and, and good, good ice pretty much everywhere you go. So don't be paranoid about trying local food and drinking. Uh, use com- some common sense about what you're going to eat. Maybe a little bit better safe than sorry when dining off the beaten path. But uh, yeah, some outstanding food. The Balinese food is very spicy, much spicier than than uh, your typical Indonesian food, spicier than some Thai dishes even. Nice. I want to go. Yeah. Now, I know that in Southeast Asia in general, and I just actually read a story today here in KL, that they're saying the dengue fever. People worry about malaria, but dengue fever, I just read in KL, is going to be the biggest that it's been in decades. How about mosquito-type stuff? Do people have to be worried about malaria or dengue fever? 
Yeah, you know, I, I got dengue a number of years back, and, and it's horrible. It's a, it's a horrible thing to happen to you. Um, and dengue, unlike malaria, is caused uh, by an urban mosquito. So I, I believe I got my dengue down in Phuket. Um, but it could have been from a trip to KL, too. I don't remember back then where I had been traveling. Um, but, yeah, it's certainly possible to get dengue fever um, from mosquitoes in, in Bali and Lombok. Um, you know, malaria is, is much, much less likely. Um, but for dengue fever, you know, again, I, I think having some sunblock, I mean, not sunblock, having some mosquito spray with DEET, um, mm-hmm. 20% DEET. I hate DEET. I think it's toxic. Uh, but there are areas that are very mosquito-y. And in the Balinese, they have lots of fountains and, and lots of water everywhere at a lot of the resorts. And, and those are good areas for mosquitoes to breed. So uh, if you happen to be in an area where, where you are getting bit by lots of mosquitoes, it's probably a good idea to get yourself some, some DEET mosquito spray because dengue fever sucks. Yeah, as much as I'm not, who likes mosquito spray, right? But I do know one thing here, and I'm assuming it's the same down there, is when I go in the jungle here in Kuala Lumpur to mountain bike, like 10% deep doesn't cut it. I wear stuff that has 30, and I mean, I think a a light spray, as much as you don't like it, it's way better than having dengue. So to kind of, I mean, bring us to a a nice wrap-up here, I just want to fire off some questions. I mean, I want to learn to surf. Where should I go to learn to surf? Yeah, you know, I don't know. Again, that's tough. Like, there, there's some really good surf schools in Bali. Uh, there's a place up in Changu called the Chill House. Mm-hmm. And the, the Chill House does kind of a package deal where your room and your food and your surfing is all packaged together. And they got a bunch of boards and they got vans and they'll take you to whatever different breaks that they think is best for you. I think doing something like that with the Chill House would be a good way to go. Um, otherwise, having just recently uh, taken my girlfriend to Bali and, and, and tried to teach her, she did get up on her own. She was able to catch a wave on her own, which was awesome. Um, but, I, but I took her to Changu to Old Man's first, and that's kind of more of a, an intermediary break. And I like I think that's a great experience because surfing isn't just about catching the waves. It's about being in the water. And from the water, you look back towards the island and you can see the volcanoes in the distance and and the water's beautiful and just the the whole experience of surfing, you know? Um, But I think you're probably better off like taking a class down there in Kuta Seminyak somewhere and just getting uh, knocked around by the white water a little bit until you know how to stand up for you. I mean, you've, 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 tried it a couple times in Hawaii, you could probably just go up to, to Old Man's. It's a surf break up there in Changu, and they rent boards by, by the hour for like five bucks for two hours. You can get like a super, super, super long board and just paddle it out, and you'd, you'd probably be able to catch some waves. Okay. Now, is Kuda Beach the best beach, or is it just the one I've heard of? Yeah, it's just the one you heard of. Uh, it, you know, one of the funny things is that, like, when you think of Bali and you think of beaches and you think of surfing and everything, um, Bali's beaches are by no means as spectacular as, as the beaches in Hawaii. Um, the, the beaches themselves, a lot of the beaches is, is gray or, or, you know, just dark colored sand. Um, it's not particularly soft. Um, certainly around that Kuta Beach area, the water can be gray as well. There'll be like plastic bags in the water. It's, it's yeah, it's kind of gross. If you go down to the Bukit, like the Bukit is where uh, Uluwatu is and Padang Padang, the, the world famous surfing breaks. The water down there is gorgeous. And, and the, the beaches are much, much smaller because they're at the base of like a cliff. Um, but you'll find some golden sand there and, and you'll find some crystal clear water and lots of fish. Uh, you know, I think Kuda just has, has the biggest reputation. And to some degree, that's a good thing because, uh, I mean, the best snorkeling and diving 
is over in Ahmed, in my opinion. And Ahmed is uh, on the east coast of the island. And, and again, that's probably like, you know, a 50-kilometer, two-and-a-half, three-hour drive from, from Kuta as well. Um, but there's very few tourists relatively over there, and, and the water is stunningly beautiful, and, and, and the snorkeling is unbelievable. I was just doing some, some reading uh, prior to our podcast today, and, and the number of coral-forming species in Bali is seven times the entire Caribbean. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, so like the the marine life is just spectacular. So, but but you're not going to find that in Kuta Beach. That's just where where everybody headed to originally. Okay, I have two two things I want to know. Two last things. One, I mean, how do I experience a volcano in Bali, and what else is there to do? Um, the volcanoes are are right in the center of the island, uh, and they're they're holy places to the Balinese people. Um, so basically you can just jump in a car or a motorbike and just start driving uphill and, and keep going until you get to the top. Um, <laughs> I think I, I actually kind of like it better the other way because I've done some exploring on some of the, the lesser traveled uh, volcanoes and, and using my, my old school map and my GPS tried to figure out how to get from one little village to another. And it's just spectacularly beautiful up there. But, but some of those roads are, are pretty bad. So I probably would have been better off with, a, with an off-road bike. Um, but the cool thing once you're up on top of the volcanoes is you literally just have to keep going down until you get to the beach. Uh, it, it's hard to get lost from the top. So you um, can drive to the top of these. Yeah. If you go to Gunung Agung or Gunung Batur, like, it, and you go to Kintamani, which is on the edge of the volcano, like there's towns like sitting on the, the, the crater's edge, like looking down. Yeah. And there's massive lakes inside of the volcanoes now. And these are active, active volcanoes, steam coming out of them and everything and, and erupting from time to time. But you can drive down inside the crater and, and down there's guest house down by the lake and there's, there's steam baths. Yeah. And you can get up like in the dark and you can hike the volcano to watch the sunrise uh, from the top of it and yeah, there's really good hiking. There's really good mountain biking. Um, and then from, from the south sides, like, there's rivers. There's really good whitewater rafting. Um, so, yeah, like I was saying earlier, I think it's it's not a bad idea to go up there and, and base yourself up there for a couple of days and, and just explore from there. And how about Balinese dancing? I mean, I've seen it on TV. Is that something I want to check out? Yeah, Balinese dance, and, and a lot of it is part of their religious practice, you know. So it's it's quite legit. Um, but we discovered one place called Mekhar Buana. And Mekhar Buana is uh, this, this guy from New Zealand who's a muso-ethnologist or, or something like that. And, oh. and, and his local wife, who, who studies traditional Balinese dance, um, their vision is to document and reconstruct rare or extinct Balinese gamelan music and dance. Um, and, and there's an outrageously beautiful hotel called the Hotel Tugu that's on the beach up there in the Changu area. And, and Mekar Buana occasionally does dance performances like on the beach next to a bonfire. And the equipment that they use is over 100 years old. Like the Gamelan Orchestra is like 100-year-old equipment. And they're playing songs from like 100-year-old recordings that, that no one's even performed like this music or this dance in 100 years. And it, it, it blew me away. You know, after seeing this troupe perform, it, it's hard to, to be impressed by other dances around the island um, but especially up around Ubud but anywhere on the island where there's a community center or there's you know a temple with a pavilion or 
the Balinese are practicing music day and night. And when you're walking around, you can hear the gamelan practicing. Um, they, they dance for religious ceremonies. They play music for religious ceremonies. So just about any night of the week, anywhere on the island, you can catch a dance performance, whether it's in a, a restaurant specifically for tourists or, or whether it's in the, the Ubud town hall. I don't know what the town hall there is called, but they do do dances nightly in Ubud. And uh, they even do them at the, the temple there in Uluwatu, um, which is actually pretty impressive, but uh, I'm a little bit turned off by the, the tour buses and the hordes sometimes, you know. Right. Well, I think I'm officially out of questions on Bali, but I do want to go more than I did before. Yeah, I think we're going to have to do a, a Bali 201 at some point because, sure. you know, we really just scratched the surface. Uh, maybe we should do a trip there together and, and record that episode from Bali. What do you think about that? I'm up for the challenge. My wife really wants to go and I've been trying to get there for years. So, yeah, thanks. That was super, Trevor. I'll just say thank you and goodbye from Kuala Lumpur and hand it over to you. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, I hope you got some interesting information about Bali from that. Uh, Of course, uh, as usual, we'll have show notes to give you a little bit more information, links to things that we talked about, maybe some maps to help you find some of the places that we talked about. So thanks a lot for listening, and we'll be back at you in two weeks. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom in Cambodia? 